Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new week. This is the Rut Podcast, uh, a special today. And thanks before we start for downloading us and making our numbers so big. We really appreciate it. In three or four weeks of the season to go, then we'll have a break. Then we'll all be back for World Cup warm-up games and the World Cup. So almost, we're still steaming ahead at the moment. Our guest today, uh, if he needs an introduction, well, you shouldn't be listening. He was described on Saturday evening as one of the two legends created by English rugby. Uh, Lawrence, um, when they said two, I looked up expectantly. <laughs> it was, it was I, think, a, I don't think it was me, though. It was obviously a forward that came up with that because the other one was Martin Johnson. So uh, we, we, he, he appropriately, or, di- or rather inappropriately, forgot the, the other legends of English rugby, the likes of Johnny Wilkinson and, uh, and uh, Jason Robinson and many, many others. But uh, no, listen, it was, a, it was a great night. It was a great night. And um, Lawrence, um, we normally give um, a list of achievements of our, of our guests on the ruck. This time is quite easy. We're going to give the list of non-achievements. What Lawrence achieved was, did not achieve was basically nothing. He did the, <laughs> did the World Cup of 15s and the 7s. He won the Heineken Cup twice, won the Premiership four times. Uh, yeah, as, as the pre- five, five, uh, five times as, as a title. Five times as four, four as the Prem, yeah. Yeah, was in really the, the, one of the great Wasp, Wasps eras. It was a British Lions winner in 97, plus the sevens, as I said. So there's not much uh, he didn't achieve. Um, rugby has special kinds of legends, though. On, on Saturday evening, uh, after Lawrence had been working at um, Saracens for BT... He then drove what I reckon is about 150 miles to the Forest of Dean, which is not the easiest place to get to. Uh, amazingly, didn't didn't get lost um, to a function at Lydney Rugby Club, and uh, in aid of um, the breast cancer charity run by Polly Barnes, uh, uh, who, who is Wayne Barnes' wife. Uh, it was a brilliant night. Lawrence spoke brilliantly. There was anecdotes I'd never heard before. He posed for probably what hundred pictures? What should we say? There was a few. He signed. Uh, <laughs> Signed a, th- a thousand books, and at the end he approached us with a gigantic tray of something I believe are called Jaeger bombs, and that really put a bit of a full stop on the night for some of us. Well, it's the, what the millennials drink, uh, yeah, Jersey. I think there might be there might be. Um, you tried to introduce us to us, but after about twenty, I'd still still hadn't twigged it. Well, I um, think I think you became the Jaeger bomb champion that night. To be fair, well, I put a lot of effort into it. <laughs> but it, it was a great night. Just before we go on to pro rugby. Uh, it was a great night, and obviously to have you there, they they, they was they were absolutely amazed. But um, does that remind us of the, the greatness of of our local rugby clubs? Well, I hope so, um, because you know the game is is a game that for all of us has been about the bottom up, not the top down. You know, we're lucky enough to get to the top of it of rugby and play for internationally for England. But you know, for me, the journey started at, at grassroots at Staines Rugby Club at the age of uh, seven or eight, and uh, you know, and there. How can I say they're, they're pillars of the local community? You know, it used to be the church, the the bank, the library, but the, you know those sort of things don't exist now. So, uh, you know, rugby clubs are very much the the heart and foundation of any local community. And in Lidley, uh, Lidney Rugby Club, uh, you know, it was it's fantastic. They had a great weekend for breast cancer. Now, I think they raised north of twenty five thousand pounds, which is an extraordinary number. The, Lawrence, there's, a, there's a, an, another big match this week. Um, in its way, no more significant than Lidney, but Leinster and uh, Sarah since the final of the Heineken European Cup you've been there but this to me has got the sense of a real massive game really but massive yeah I mean listen the, the, the Heineken Champions Cup um, the European Cup whichever whatever you want to call it um, it's probably one of the biggest games of rugby in the world full stop um, you know and I include Test Rugby in that as, as well it's uh, it's a competition that uh, that Everyone enjoys playing in. Um, everyone enjoys watching, uh, whether that be live or or on TV. And the live experience is, is phenomenal. And uh, yeah, it's it's the the showpiece of our game in the Northern Hemisphere. Um, often 
the quality well more than often the quality of the of the match itself is 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 better than bigger than the most test matches um if you look at the the two sides we have saracens and, and leinster um we have the two very best club sides in europe at the moment um or in terms of their consistency and their quality um packed full of test players mainly from England and in Saracens and, and Ireland in the case of Leinster, but also there's a sparkle of other quality Test players, you know, across the globe, um, and uh, you know it's it, it, it's something we're really looking forward to. If, if you look at the, the two teams, both of them qualified imperiously. Um, Saracens without being beaten and and are without question the number one seeds this year, um, and Leinster, um, you know, going down only once to uh, a. a an interception try in, in the pool match against Toulouse. So I think um, for the first time in a long time, you can unquestionably say we have the two very best teams in Europe. Um, there's lots of little subplots um, in the sense that uh, Leinster beat Saracens yeah. uh, in the mm. quarterfinals in the Aviva last year. Leinster are the current champions um, of Europe. Uh, Saracens are the current champions of England. So there's, there's lots of motivation for both sides. Um, I was in, in the Aviva Stadium to watch uh, England for the first time in a very long time dismantle Ireland, mm. uh, and I'm not sure that Ireland or its players have quite recovered from that from that contest. Um, you know, of course they've recovered physically, and but I mean, uh, if you look at their performances subsequently, um, they haven't quite hit the heights because that was a, that really knocked the wind out of them. Um, so, but Leinster have come back and, and proved um, that they. Uh, have got what it takes to win. Leinster, of course, going for an unprecedented five European Cup final wins. That would eclipse even the great Toulouse sides mm. uh, of yesteryear. Saracens trying to be the first English club to win it three times. Mm. Uh, of course, my own was side and, and Leicester twice. So, you know, it's uh, it's brilliant. You know, really looking forward to it. Very, very excited. Um, some of the best players in the world playing. Um, and a unique stadium, uh, St. James's Park, uh, capacity of 55,000 I was there for the World Cup to watch the All Blacks play there I was there more recently um, to watch um, Gonover sort of putting his Shearer-like celebration yeah the Shearer salute yeah, yeah. which yeah. feels like a long eternity ago for Newcastle Falcons but mm. uh, it, you know it's going to be a wonderful atmosphere and uh, and I'm sure both sets of players will do it proud what, what do you make of, of, of Saris they, they, they seem to be the Marmite club Mm. Um, I mean, I actually got a, a great. It's very difficult because they've, they've sort of magic to club in Barnet out of thin air because they were only a little tiny club. Um, but they do have. We, we know there are issues with. They, they are fighting their own issues with allegations about the salary cap, mm. which obviously we can't can't really go into that. But I mean, do you, do you do you like going to Allianz Park and do you like what Sar- or do you admire what Saracens are doing? Well, I think the uh, the challenge for all clubs is t- is to take what was what was really good and, and strong um, from your core, from your fabric, if you like, uh, as an amateur club. And, and Saracens were a club rather like my own, was that very working man like, very um, uh, humble beginnings in Southgate and then Watford, and you know their evolution has been extraordinary, really, if you think about it, uh, as have many. And so I, I like the I like the backstory of Saracens. I I, I, I like Nigel Ray a lot, the owner. Um, there's a lot that he's given to English rugby um, both in terms of his heart and his soul and you know uh, no small amount financially either so um, I think whether you like them or not I think what Saracens have got is, is a rugby ethos at their heart uh, mm. as they're a rugby club first uh, and foremost and they're a rugby club that, that look after their players um, that try and nurture grow and develop their players into something bigger and better and my word what a what a galaxy and what a arsenal of players they've, they've uh, accumulated I mean mm. You know, as you said, we, we forget the financial implications, but uh, they've got some of the best rugby talent on the planet at the moment, and they're making it better, and that's what's even more important. Um, you know, they've got a, an incredible core of players, but if you look at the development of each and every one of those players, um, as a result of the coaching from whether that be Mark McCall, Alex Sanderson, or their S&C team or whatever, they, they have moved them on. Nick Sk- um, Nick, um, Will Skelton, I keep calling him Nick Skelton, he's, mm. built, he's built like a horse, he's, <laughs> he, he, doesn't, he doesn't ride one, but uh, Will Skelton, I mean, look at how he's improved as a player since yeah. he's arrived at Saracens. Now, you know, you could argue if you look around your changing room and you've got Cruz, Itoji and Ezekwe, you know, you, you're going to have to improve just to get a game. But mm. uh, he, his progression has been phenomenal. Even players like Liam Williams, how, how they've improved uh, since they've arrived there. So, no question. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I've got huge admiration for what they're doing. They are building a, a dynasty 
dynasty, a legacy. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be part of one that lasted for about three years, but Saracens mm. have, have eclipsed that already in terms of what they're, what they're doing in this particular era. Uh, and for my mind, they are... They're not just um, ahead of the pack. They're, they're head and shoulders above the rest of every, everything in England. And, and I think this is a challenge that they need, really, uh, this Leinster team, because uh, um, other than Exeter, there's been very few that can hold a, hold a torch to them in, in the Premiership. So, mm. you know, this is, this is the thing that, that really excites them. And if you look at the game, I was there the, uh, last Saturday for their, their, their outing against Exeter. They, they could afford to rest all their players and you just saw the talent just watching the game. Uh, it, it, it's going to be fantastic. And credit to them and credit to Nigel Ray. I, I, I think, yeah, as you say, last week I met the, um, some of the guys who've been brought the academy players up and they think definitely that the, that the crop they've got coming through now is, is you know, you, it, you never know how it's going to work out, but they do think they're really, they've got their, their, their new team mapped out. You know, yeah, so. I mean, look, I think they've got a core of wonderful players. Um, you know, some some that they've grown. I mean, success breeds success. So once you once you have that kind of success, everyone wants to join your club. Um, but you know, and look, don't make no mistake, they're still very good at cherry picking the best, aren't they? I mm. mean, mm. they're taking Elliot Daly from Wasps. Uh, mm. You know, they're taking Liam Williams from Wales. You know, they they know how to. You know, they find a player that they want, uh, and they, and they and they go get him. Sure. Um, but equally, they. Uh, they add to that an incredible academy, and I saw some of those players playing firsthand. You know, I've been keeping a close eye on Ben Earl, who's going to be a superb player. He's mm. a relatively limited experience at the minute, but uh, yeah, there's um, there's certainly a, a side that are you know doing everything right at the minute. Just we we'll come back to the um, possibly give a, our own views on the game uh, on on the Heineken Cup final later, but of course you were involved in them. In in, in and I I still look back on those as sort of golden years of the Heineken Cup and I always remember your 04 triumph where that must have been people people remember you playing um, Munster in an absolutely amazing semi-final when they were meant to be unbeatable people remember the final against Toulouse where actually Toulouse played wonderfully well in the final but also you know you, you go back there you had to go to Perpignan yeah. who were now a second team uh, a second division team yeah. but I just remember that being as hard as any game you played probably yeah it's about 29 sightings which um, yeah wasn't helpful I played but there were only 27 of those were you though, were yeah, they? <laughs> well they, I played 20 minutes in the second row which wasn't part of the deal um <laughs> But no, wonderful atmosphere. I mean, we were sta- we were clapped off the field, standing ovation from nineteen thousand Perpignan supporters. So, mm. I think with that competition, I mean, listen, it's it's rich. I mean, it's the best for me. It's the best competition in the world, bar none. Mm. Um, and people often say to me, "What's the highlight of your your rugby career?" And it would be easy to say, "Well, the British and Irish Lions." Um, and uh, and playing for England, but but mm. actually, week in week out, playing with with your with your mates for your club and getting to the top and and doing it with them, you know, particularly because international rugby is 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 something which uh, some of us are lucky enough to experience. But 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 to to play at the top of the tree with your club mates is is something very special. And and that, that journey we had in in uh, 2003, four, you know, started with the World Cup for me in 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 03 at the end, and then finished with the with the Heineken Cup at the end of the season and. It, you know, sometimes your name is on the trophy, and and for us to have to go to to, uh, um, you know, to Lansdowne Road as it was then, and play against Munster, the the best atmosphere I've ever walked out into. Fifty four thousand mm. uh, Munster fans, about a couple of hundred Wasps fans, and uh, yeah, it was magnificent. And then of course. We had a bit of luck because the final, you know, you don't pick where the final's going to be. It's there right right from the start. Um, mm. You know, to end up back at Twickenham um, for, for an English club side like Wasps and to be playing, you know, the, the Galacticos, the, 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 the most famous rugby team of the European Cup to lose was, was, a, great, um, was a great test for us. And, you, you know, you can't forget that, that Rob Howley try in the corner. Mm. You know, just a wonderful moment. The, the, your Wasps team, let's just call it 04, um, you and I on Saturday evening were talking about leadership and you know people keep on saying oh we've got to have leaders Eddie said we've got to have leaders for England and I think well uh, are leaders bo- are they really manufacturable or are they just born now, that was team th- th- there was yourself there was the likes of Shawzy there was the, the likes of um, uh, uh, Josh Lucy Fraser Waters I mean that were the, the, those guys were born leaders no one actually taught them to be leaders they just were leaders and was that one of your strengths Undoubtedly, but but also um, we the success for us as a group didn't come overnight. You know, I look. I mean, I look at the Saracens team now, and 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 you know, many of them are, are in their early twenties. You know, and they're winning European Cups and they're winning. 
Premiership trophies and, and good luck to them you know to be able to do that at that age is is extraordinary and may, maybe maybe in the modern era you've got to be in a hurry because you never know, quite know how long your career is going to last but certainly mm. um, for, for the WASP team you know we were very much toward, not towards the end of our careers but we were very much in, in right in the sweet spot of being very experienced as a group I mean I played in countless European Cup campaigns and been beaten in the pool stages I'd, I'd experienced losing at home to Breve in the quarterfinal at Loftus Road um, you know we'd uh, we'd lost to um, Northampton Saints up at Franklin's Gardens in a quarterfinal so we'd had many uh, many setbacks in the in the competition and I think as a group we, we'd learnt uh, on that journey and you know the the alchemy of success is never um, just down to the players or the or the leadership group within the players. I, I always think that the the alchemy for success is is a is a sort of combination of of being well coached and and some wonderful players as mm. well. And uh, um, I've always felt that the best teams in in you know in rugby are are coach led um, but player driven. Mm. Um, and, and by that I mean obviously you need the framework and the structure and the and the and the uh, the kind of vision to be set by. A Warren Gatland, a Mark McCall, a, a Sir Clive Woodward, but but you then need those players to take that and drive it and yeah. drive it home. And if you disagree, then you know there's, it, it's it's healthy and, and and good to disagree with your coach, uh, and it's good for your coach because your coach will disagree with you. Trust me, mm. and he'll tell you what, you know the way it is. So there's nothing wrong with creating that that pathway of of being able to be challenged as a player, but also challenge as a player and and that's what leadership is for me is about challenging your coach to say yeah I agree with that but I don't agree with everything you've just said yeah you sure, know, and should sure. we look should we look at it slightly differently and then um and I think yes that you know the hallmarks of any team is 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 about having that leadership and I think the challenge for Eddie Jones and for England and, and rugby generally is you know where do, how, how does that leadership get get developed because a lot of the young guys who are playing rugby now have come straight from school they've gone straight into the rugby team and through no fault of their own they may not have necessarily had those experiences in life in uh, you know outside of rugby that may maybe drive and, and nurture their mm. decision making and their ability to to think uh, you know outside of that so you've got to create that environment you've got to develop your players in terms of leaders and and try and develop that that, that important character what the the, uh, the, the that's a great answer the, just the, the 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 other Heineken Cup victory you had was very much different because you you were playing one of your own role rivals in the final which was Leicester and that's remembered really for I think Leicester went in as favourites as they often did when you played them in those finals and they mm. didn't do them a lot of good but that is recalled as the day when you you brought off two line-out plays mm. at the front of the line and um, they came off but I mean there was more to it than that because again Possibly you weren't as great a side as you were in 04, but you're still a good side. No, I mean, Leicester. I mean, let's just deal with Leicester first. I mean, a, a great foe, great adversary, and uh, and a wonderful team. And, and coached that year by uh, by Pat Howard, I think, or, or maybe, no, maybe not. Maybe, uh, but they were certainly, you know, they, they, they'd won multiple trophies. And I, I, all I recollect from that game is two weeks previously, we'd gone up to Welford Road and mm. we'd been humbled, as usual, mm. uh, by about 30 or 40 points and, and being... You know, been handed our backsides, um, and I remember walking around the pitch with the players, and 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 it was, um, you know, they were celebrating obviously as mm. they do at the Tigers, and I was just saying, look, you know, we're all hurting here, we're all very disappointed, but let's just let's just bottle up this feeling and and just remember it in a couple of weeks' time because this is the same team as mm. we're going to have to play, and and clearly. Um, you know what's the definition of insanity? If you keep if you keep doing the same things over and over again, you know, <laughs> they're not going to be successful, are they? So I think what we recognised is whatever we were doing against the Leicester Tigers, it wasn't working. You know, if we have to take them on in a certain way, so we had to be a little bit more cunning and a mm. bit more mischievous about the way we went about our work. Um, and having a, um, a coach from New Zealand, um, it didn't take long to recognise that. You know, mm. Leon Holden. Um, so we, we identified their strengths um, and turned them into a weakness, you know, mm. and and, th- and we had a little sort of uh, um, tactical think about it, and we came up with a couple of plays. And there's one thing coming up with them, and there's another thing calling them in the in the in the midst of a battle in uh, yeah. at Twickenham. But as you say, to uh, to do it once was was uh, was cheeky. To do it twice was yeah. uh, was probably a little bit naughty. <laughs> you and your job with BT Lawrence, but also just for your, your love of rugby you keep a very close eye on the premiership yeah uh, and, and work close with it and you analyze it um in terms of the premiership as as a league we'll come back to what's in a minute where does it stand at the moment because 
there's always a debate about um, the, the trap door. Um, it's been a rather bizarre season because two were right out ahead and all the rest could have beaten each other. Where, where do you think it stands? I think, it, first of all, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the Premiership. Um, I love it as a mm. competition. I loved it as a player um, uh, as a, and I love it even more as a supporter now. Um, I think it has grown and developed, but I would argue that it, it hasn't grown and developed at the, at the pace that I would like it to have grown and developed. And by that, I mean... Um, I think there's massive room for there's massive potential for for it to get bigger and bigger, um, and I'm sure that um, that's the reason why it's attracted outside investment mm. um, because they see the potential for it to get bigger. In terms of an actual rugby competition, um, you know the game has gone through various cycles. Um, Leicester were the dominant force for many years, um, winning multiple trophies, then Wasps, um, and now Saracens. You know, and I suppose you know does success come in cycles? Well. You know, on if you look at the evidence of the Premiership, it, it clearly does. Mm. Um, but at the moment, as a competition, um, you know, everyone says, "Oh, it's great because it, you know everyone can beat everyone." But the reality is, if everyone has their full side out, everyone can't beat everyone. Um, you know, it, mm. Saracens and Exeter are head and shoulders above sure. everyone else because of the quality of their their coaching, the the quality of their squad, and the depth of their squad as well. Um, so, you know, th- there are still improvements that that could be made. Um, you know, last season we saw four directors of rugby change hands, um, mm. so four clubs weren't happy with their performance, um, and those four clubs, to lesser or greater extent, have made significant improvements or not. You know, Northampton have made big strides under Chris Boyd and continue to do so. Um, you know, Paul Gustard and, uh, with with Harlequins has has got them back to a competitive position. Mm. Um, you know, so so there's there's pros and cons, but as a competition, I think it's fantastic. Um, but I do think that it has significant room to grow. Um, I'm, I'm concerned that, you know, when, when, when we tune into the uh, Six Nations, um, and I'm lucky enough to, to be involved in broadcasting that as part of a team, we have 9 million people that watch England v Wales. Mm. And then the following week, with the same players and the same, uh, same sport, you might only have 180,000 people mm. watching Saracens against Wasps. You know, and that, to me, suggests there is a huge audience to go and engage with, to go and talk to, and to go and, uh, to go and grab, really. Um, mm. So, you know, yes, I think the Premiership is, is, is a great competition, but I, I think we mustn't rest on our laurels and think that it's, uh, uh, it's by any way uh, captivated the whole of the world. We as rugby fans love it because we're rugby fans, but there are lots and lots of people out there who should be watching rugby who aren't watching it currently. Sure. Um, you, you talk about the wheel of fortune of some clubs have their day, etc. But did we ever think uh, um, that Leicester Tigers would be possibly one score uh, when they played um, uh, Newcastle away? They could easily have lost that game. Did we ever think Leicester Tigers would be would be one score away from possibly going down? And and and, and whether we did or not, what 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 do you think has happened to them with all the times you've seen them? What? And listen, and I take no pleasure in, in, in talking about Leicester Tigers or Wasps or any side in, in this manner because, you know, everyone thinks because I played for Wasps for 20 years that I'm smug and I, and I revel in the fact that they're, that they're suffering. I don't at all. They, they do think that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, no, I know, but, but that's not the case. I mean, I've, no, I've, I know. You know, I without, know. Without, without, you know, what people have to realise is that we are, we're only enemies for 80 minutes every hmm. weekend. The rest of the time, we actually need to, we need each other because sure. without Leicester Tigers, without Wasps, without Saracens, without Exeter, there, there are no sports rivalries mm. and and I don't think rugby is big enough in this country yet to uh, to you know to to laugh at the demise of a club a, a great club like sure, Leicester sure. and you know when I look at what's happened last season they finished outside the top four for the first time in premiership history um, and they vowed as a group that that would never happen again now this season they've gone from finishing outside the top four to looking like they're going to finish around about 11 10 mm. or 11 um, so clearly Whatever they whatever they set out to do has, has failed spectacularly. Now you can look at a number of things. You can look at the people at the top, and I don't mean the coaching because in Jordan Murphy they've got a wonderful uh, coach, they've got a wonderful Leicester man, but clearly he needs a bit of support around mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the decisions that are being made above Jordan Murphy. Um, you know need 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 a bit of um, uh, need a bit of research and a bit of investigation. I, I I don't know what's going on at that club in in, in the sense of what their board are doing, but uh, you do need to uh, to give the people the right structures. Their recruitment, I don't think, has necessarily matched their ambition mm. uh, in terms of what they where they think they are. 
uh, and other sides have recruited. The landscape in, in rugby has changed. You know, um, players are, are prized away from clubs for for different reasons now. And in the in the older professional era, you know, players would join the likes of Wasps and Leicester because of the success that we created mm. and because of the platform that we gave them to become international players. Now, you know, they don't join Wasps and Leicester; they join Saracens or Exeter. Uh, mm. or other clubs so I think we have to recognise that the, the rebuild of, of, of sides like Leicester might take a couple of years now and yes. you look at Manchester United at the moment they're in a sort of similar situation where they've been so used to success the fans have been so used to success and I'm not sure that the fan. I mean I talk to a lot of Leicester Tigers fans and they're not you know they understand that that they're not at the very top table at the moment but what mm. I think they really get upset with is is the is the the, the gap yeah. so, you know they've not just gone from being very good to being good mm. they've gone from being very good to being very poor um, and they've got a bit of work to do certainly over the summer for sure I I, I think that um, we can't as a member of the WASP board we can't ask you board secrets but I think fans would would um, WASP fans would like your personal opinion on you know they're still up there they're still somewhere near the top yeah. but nothing like where they wanted yeah. to be and it's been a very very odd season well, it's been a poor season. Um, it's been a disaster if you look at it in terms of results. I mean, mm. what's sort of side that the, um, you know, I think they changed um, inconceivably from the old boss when when the decision was made to move up to um, to the Rico Arena, and and that we all know the reasons why that decision was made from a business perspective. You know, Wasps mm. were losing three million pounds a year, and you know they they had a tremendously successful um, you know debut season there. And if you look at their trajectory over the last three or four years, they've gone from being nearly being relegated like Leicester mm. to going all the way up to um, being 80 seconds away two years ago from being Premiership champions, mm. but for one Nathan Hughes uh, uh, penalty. So, mm. uh, but but every year for the last three, they finished in the in the top four playoffs. You know, mm. this year um, they look like they're going to finish mid-table at best, mm. um, and and hopefully just about qualify for the Champions Cup. And so that you'd argue has been a big backward step uh, now there's been lots of reasons for that um, and I'm not going to sit here and make excuse after excuse but they've had a horrendous injury list um, mm. and and injuries to <clears throat> what I'd call significant players as well Jimmy Gopeth you know mm. week before the start of the season that was the killer wasn't they it they lost yeah. both their first choice scrum halves Dan Robson and Joe mm. Simpson for large chunks you know Joe, uh, Joe, um, Joe Launchbury has missed three months of the season through injury mm. and you've only got to be at the wreck on, on Sunday to realise that actually when Joe Launchbury plays well, Wasp win. Mm. When Joe Launchbury doesn't play, um, and he was substituted with 20 minutes to go, um, Wasp lose. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're definitely, uh, there's definitely cracks developing and they've, they've got to rebuild that, you know, and it's simple as that. They're, they're losing some of their best players for, mm. for lots of different reasons, not because it's not a good place to be, mm. but because, you know, money talks in, in, in the Premiership now and Nathan Hughes is leaving Wasp for, nearly double the salary um, so you know good luck to him mm-hmm. uh, and Elliot Daly you know recognises that he probably wants to win a few things um, and he's not going to do that at Wasps in the next year or two so um, you know he wants to move to Saracens and, and good luck to him too so there is an exodus of play so Wasps are going to have to rebuild themselves in terms of their squad um, but uh, as you say when things are going well there's one or two games that you win uh, that they lost this season, and they've, they've, they've lost games in the last few minutes. Mm. You know, when when things aren't going so well, you tend to fall the other side of that. And uh, I, I don't think there's a huge difference between Wasps and the other nine teams in the Premiership. I do think um, there is a yeah. big difference between them and the top two. What about the uh, the cause celebre in English rugby? Because you 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 or your your, your coach uh, let Danny Cipriani go, and he mm. played very well for Gloucester. I mean, not every selection you make can, can work out brilliantly but that appears not to have worked out well I think if Di Young David Young had his time again he'd absolutely want to keep hold of Danny Cipriani however mm. difficult he felt it was to manage him off the field mm. the benefits of what he delivered on the field mm. I mean Wasps were spectacular when he was there as were Sale before yeah. uh, as are Gloucester now mm. um, and you know I've always been one of these people that believes what makes rugby quite unique is that it celebrates difference mm. um, and uh, it, it's it, what makes people different is what brings rugby together it's always not been about having 15 people that are the same on a rugby field it's about having people that are different and Danny sure. Cipriani undoubtedly brings a point of difference um, there were there were factors that led to his departure from Wasps which weren't within all, all within Wasps control um, mm. you know he wasn't in the England picture 
Um, mm. So his his uh, his salary demands were 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 uh, were high, higher than uh, than than possibly Wasp wanted to pay, substantially mm. higher. He he then uh, he he then becomes very much part of the England picture. Um, so, his, so his agent and his position changed dramatically. Mm. Uh, by which time, Wasps have already signed um, Lima Sopoanga. So, mm. you know, I mean, no hard feelings. You know, he's he's doing brilliantly for for, for Gloucester. Um, and actually, uh, you know, I'm, I'm delighted that he's staying within English rugby and he's decided to to sign on the dotted line at, at Gloucester to extend his contract. The the um, just just finally with Wasps, there, there's. Um, no one. Well, I I pretend to understand the CVC deal, but actually I don't, and I I, I don't know really what what it involves. But with Was, they got uh, um, the way they set up the club financially is quite complicated. Are you still, as you always have been, um, um, optimistic about the future? I am optimistic, but I think we have a challenge as a club, as as many do, about about. Um about our identity, you know, are we a rugby club um, mm-hmm. that also has a business that's attached to it, um, or are we a business that has a rugby club attached to it? And I think they're two very different things. And myself, as a board member, make you know, I'm not running away from from that as a fundamental issue. You know, I look at Saracens and they're mm-hmm. they're a rugby club. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at Exeter and they're a rugby club. And there's a lot of benefits of Wasp moving to the Rico, and we've mm. got we've become part of a much bigger business. But what we mustn't lose sight of is is our identity as a rugby club. Because so you've got a big hotel and you've got a railway station, yeah, and, and, and all and, sorts. But and, and we've got a casino, and we've got a you know we've got conferencing, and we've got you know and and trust me, you know the the business model is unique, and it's mm. um, and it's the envy of a lot of other clubs. But mm. it mustn't be at the cost of of, of making sure. the rugby club great and making it special and making it a place that people want to be, and you know. I think you know you have to you have to you have to become attractive in different ways because you know Wasps is people used to want to be in London and and for, as a result of that they'd be attracted to Wasps because mm. Wasps was in London you know Wasps is not in London anymore so there have to be different reasons why it's an attractive place to but, come and play. But in terms of the people that come and watch, when Wasps are going well. It's almost like you look around and think, God, I can't believe it. Where, where, yeah. where have they all come from? Yeah. I mean, when you see you see the 30,000 there in yeah. the stadium, I mean, it, it does prove that there's a market for people to go along and watch them in the Midlands. 100%. I mean, and I think they've been embraced by the people of the uh, of Coventry in the Midlands and Warwickshire, etc. And, you know, if I think about where Wasps were before they went to Coventry, they were losing £3 million a year. They were playing in front of barely 5,000 people in, in Adams Park Industrial Estate. Mm. Um, now... You know they're not losing three million pounds a year, and they own their own stadium, uh, the Rico Arena, uh, and they are playing in front of an average of about sixteen thousand. So, mm. you know, there's no doubt that um, you know that, that 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 has been a big, big and and positive move. What needs to happen now, though, is that the team needs to be able to stabilise. And what I don't like to see is these kind of fluctuations in 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 the way that they're playing. You know, yeah. it's no good being in the top four one year and then being you know mid table the next. You know, you want to continue to build and build and build. And uh, I'm confident that uh, um, that Wasp will continue to do that. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Lonesome. 
when you went into the media when you when you retired mm. um and actually even Moisés have been, been absolutely you know the sort of person you can't go and have a cup of tea till you've heard what you've got to say whenever it may be but I, I just got the impression there's not nothing you told me that you would have a few years and then and then go back into the game and I could have imagined you in 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 many different um different roles did you kind of uh, get so uh, energised by the media that, uh, or was there just no um, sort of avenue that you fancied to get back in? Um, it's, it's an interesting question because I felt at the end of my rugby career when I retired in 2008 that I'd given absolutely everything I could to playing and I felt that if I stepped straight into life post-playing by, by moving into a coaching or or managerial role that, that I would be... Um, compromised by having to give absolutely everything again um, mm. yeah, and I wasn't sure that I was quite ready for that because um, getting to the very top uh, and, and a lot of sportsmen will recognise this is you know I, I, I rang a, a, every last drop out of my rugby career that I possibly could um, and it came at a, a vast sort of cost you know uh, physically emotionally mentally to me mm. personally and to a lot of people around me and I felt uh, I did, you know, it was my duty to um, just to take a step away from that, um, you know. And maybe I'm lucky enough to be in one of those positions where I can, you know, work in the media um, and and enjoy that. And I don't, for one second, take that for granted. I, I absolutely love the role that I've played, um, but I'm not sure. There's once you take a step away from rugby, whether there's necessarily the the pathway to to jump straight back in again, um, you know. And I've often woken up in the morning and thought, you know. Shouldn't I be involved in the cut and thrust of, of, of the Premiership or of international rugby? And I see some of my mates coaching and playing and, and working in places all over the world. And there is a part of me that feels, you know, that there's a role for you there somewhere. Um, and why don't you get back into it? Um, and I, I don't know whether when you once you've taken a few years out, you kind of get a little bit nervous of... Of, uh, it's not like I've been too far away from the game, um, hmm. you know. So hmm. I still got a rough idea of what happens at the breakdown, um, <laughs> and uh, still got a rough idea of what's going on on the pitch. But um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess now that my my children are, are, are much older and they're and they've you know virtually left home, you know, you sort of think to yourself, well, may, maybe I should step back in because if I don't do it soon, then I probably never will do it. And and I look at a lot, a lot of that team that played in '03. Um, and I look at what they're all doing now and they've all gone on to achieve good and great things in varying degrees, but very few of them are actually operating at the at the, um, the coalface of, of coaching. That's uh, what I was, was going to ask you. The, that 03 team was full of magnificent leaders, magnificent characters. If it wasn't, they wouldn't have won the World Cup. Uh, and, and you think, God, the knowledge there. But sometimes, I mean, I, I don't want to be... Um, um, nasty to trick in them, but sometimes you look at trick them and think, where is the big rugby expertise there? I mean, the new chief exec who's coming in is not actually from rugby, and you know, you get they had to one stage to go to um, um, like Stuart Lancaster, who whether you think he was good or bad was just a, a kind of tricking them insider. Mm. Now, what, what, the, all these big names that you mentioned, is it significant that? Or oh, let me put it another way: surely there had to be a pathway to keep those guys in the game. In rugby, well, I think there's there's two ways that you can look at it, and they're probably both valid. The first is that all of us have got the option of doing what we want to do post rugby, um, mm. and none of us have put our hands up and said, "I really want to coach" or "I really want to manage." Um, one or two have tried in, in different. I mean, Dorian West has had a successful coaching career. Paul Grayson tried, you know, once or twice, and and decided maybe that that wasn't for him. Martin Johnson, you know, tr um, was was heavily involved, was manager of the England team, and it didn't work out. So, but you're right. I mean, not and none of us have put our hands up, but equally. Um, there's a lot of IP, there's a lot of, you'd like to think, rugby uh, experience, rugby nows, rugby intelligence, which has not necessarily been nurtured or, or signposted towards those kind of roles. I mean, Richard Hill is, is the manager of the England team and he has a role within Eddie Jones' setup. But over and above that, there's not that many of us um, that are doing that. And um, I think that there is a role for quite a few of those players i mean johnny wilkinson is is working with owen farrell and george ford mm. you know doing what you know helping them with their mental side of their game and and their kicking and clearly that works um but there is a role for for a number of of, of the players 
whether that be coaching, managing, you know, mentoring, uh, it could even be on the commercial side, could be marketing the game, because mm. whether you like it or not, those players could still market the game in, in a certain way. Um, you know, if, if, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd have Martin Johnson as a, as a selector mm. of the England team, mm. um, you know, as a, as a non-coaching selector, just someone that you can, you know, run a few ideas off of and, you know, in the same way as Grant Fox is a selector for the All Blacks. Mm. Um, so I think there's there's lots of different roles you know Jason Leonard is involved on the sort of um, on, on the sort of presidential admin committee side he's just been named chairman of the British and Irish Lions which is a fantastic appointment so I'm all for getting more and more people involved from that era into the game in some way shape or form they're all, not all going to be coaches but uh, it would be a shame to uh, to waste some of that valuable IP oh, and, and when you mentioned the IP I mean it's absolutely ma- ma- magnificent with, with some of those guys and uh, it, it is a great shame have you found it did you find it difficult you were always quite uh, a straight spoken guy did you find it difficult to come off the field and start being critical of players because I think I think the the, 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 the punters can see through it when someone is scared to be critical but that 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 you know no one would accuse you of being that did you find it difficult um it's never been in my nature to be overly critical publicly um, mm. because I don't think it necessarily serves too much of a purpose. Um, rest assured, for those people who have played with me and against me, um, you know, certainly in the right environment behind closed doors, you know, I'm very comfortable with one people, you know, digging me out and mm. and, and saying what I did and didn't do, uh, and equally, um, you know, you have that very honest environment where. Um, and you have very honest conversations because that's the only way you improve um, is by being honest with each other. Um, I've always had a had a sort of philosophy which I hope um, I've stuck to uh, when I work in the media, whether that be writing a column in the newspaper or whether it be saying something on the radio or saying something on TV. Would I? Well, one, you know, do, do I feel it's a, it's a reflection of what I believe? Is it genuinely what I believe? But secondly would I be able to say that to the person's face if they were standing mm. here with me today? And if the answer is yes, then I've got no problem in saying that. Yeah, um, yeah. The thing about when you're in the arena playing is that you often don't like to hear the truth. Mm. <laughs> um, mm. And sometimes I think there's a way of articulating it which can make it um, uh, uh, palatable and there's a way of making it personal and, and a little bit, you know, a little bit vitriolic and nasty. Now, I don't go down the, 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 the latter. Mm. Um, I just think, you know, there's a... If you can't handle criticism, then you're in the wrong sport and you're in the wrong place. Um, Good uh, point. But equally, you know, I, I was one of these players that when I played, I didn't need a former player like me to tell me whether I played well or not. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had my mum to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I mean, if you, you know, you pick up the newspaper sometimes and and you think, oh, I've had a half decent game, and then you and then you're singled out and you and and you you know you may be given a four out of ten by you, Jonesy, and you think maybe mm. I need to improve next week. I never yeah. gave you a four out of ten. That's, <laughs> no, that's you, a blatant lie. You, you said, well, I, I should certainly hope I never gave you reason to. No, but you, uh, but do you know what I mean? It's I think that it's important to um, you you can't pick up the papers and read about yourself if when you've played really well mm. and not be prepared to pick up the papers and read about yourself when you've played really badly but, now I know all these professional footballers and rugby players tell you oh we don't I don't read the papers utter nonsense <laughs> utter nonsense you can't avoid it you yeah. cannot avoid it now so you know you've got to take you've got to take the rough with the smooth and uh, you, you know you cannot celebrate success without celebrating failure as well you you were explaining the other night that you had a champion because whenever you were left out or not picked enough your mother went to tell the tell the england head coach who yeah, maybe exactly so I, mean, I said you, you know it's easy telling me the bad news <laughs> wait till you've got to tell my parents <laughs> <laughs> the um the, the 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 game at the moment is is is, is fierce um it's relentless it's uh, it's tough okay the rewards may be better but there's always the the the, the possibility of, of career ending injury say enzo your lad had had, had, had was offered um, a, a, a career in rugby that probably was going to take the same path as you would, would you love it to him to take part or would you rather him go to be a someone in the city or something um i think i'd love him to take part um it would be wrong of me to say no if having followed that path myself and 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 ignored all the all the worldly advice that I was given. Um, mm. So, you know, f- for me, you know, follow your dreams and go for it. And uh, you know, if you're if, if, if that's what you want to do, uh, but but all I would say is, um, you know, I obviously 
talk to them about how tough it is um, mm. and but don't play at it don't mess around at it because it's not a career to mess around with yeah. you know give it everything you've got and work uh, hard to be the best player the best person you can possibly be and then it, you know you'll see very quickly whether it's a career that you want to continue to pursue but but please don't you know don't pay it lip service and say that oh, you're a professional rugby player and not be professional it's all or nothing it's all think? or nothing i think you have to be there and i think you know look, if you if you end up being you know the star of the show or one of the stars of the show then i think it's a, a career worth pursuing hmm. and you have to know in your own mind whether you're going to be that person hmm. would would i have continued my my path in professional rugby if i was someone who sat on the bench more often than i started hmm. um well, I'd have to work out whether it was me that was the reason I was on the bench, or whether mm. it was someone, you know, someone else. Uh, I'm not sure I could have been a bit part player in yeah. in, in in professional rugby, um, you know, because I would have felt that I was my my destiny lay elsewhere, doing another job. Mm. You know, whatever you do, you've got to get to the very top of what of what you do. Um, and and if you've done that, and and you can hold your hands up high and be proud, but. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure whether professional rugby is a place that I would, or, my, or I'd like my son to be around, if he was making up the numbers. You know? Sure, sure. I, I just want him to be either all or nothing, and and um, you know maybe that's wrong. I'm not sure that you know, but it's um, I, I couldn't have handled, you know, one being part of a losing team because mm. I don't understand what's the point in being what's the point in being involved <laughs> in in sport if you're going to just lose every every week. Yeah. You know, because life's pretty tough as it is. But you know, if you're going to yeah. lose every week, that's just <laughs> Just change career, man, or just get you know get you know get winning. On, on the subject of career, just just coming to the end now. But last time you were on, you mentioned um, Delalio Rugby Works, mm. and and basically uh, we had a heck of a reaction to it. It's it, that's your um, means of taking up um, children who've been expelled from school, yeah. and uh, you know these days you have to be pretty naughty to be expelled yeah. from school in many ways. Is there any? Um, how, how's that going? And is there any? Um, um, you were talking about possibly even getting some sort of link up with government. Yeah, I mean, listen, rugby has been tremendously kind to me over many, many years. And when I retired in 2008, I felt a natural inclination to give back um, mm. because with success comes responsibility. And 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 I obviously rugby was my way of doing that. And I started to look at the the work that was being done with charities in in the in the area of young and disadvantaged young kids and. And there's not many charities working in that space because it's pretty tough. So I set up Rugby Works to work with young kids who are at most... They're not hard to reach because we know exactly where they are. They're in, they're in pupil referral units, but mm. no one really cares about them. Uh, so it's almost been a part of society that, that, that's been forgotten. Um, just to throw a couple of numbers out there, 65% of everyone in prison has been excluded from school. Mm. Um, your chances of success in life once you're expelled or excluded are virtually non-existent. Um, because no one has that support system and that structure. Most of the young kids who are in that situation have come from very chaotic backgrounds where there's been a history of physical, violent, all sorts of abuse. Um, mm. Most of them have got mental health issues. So so rugby is the hook, and we take these young kids on a journey, uh, and we get them into full-time employment from the age of 14 right the way up to 17. Um, we're currently in seven, over 75 schools around the country, um, and sadly, you know, 14 young people every day are excluded from school. So mm. that number is not getting smaller, it's getting bigger. So what we need to do is we need to shine a light on that and use a sport like rugby, which is it has this incredible, um, the, the incredible values of the sport to help uh, provide a system and a support system to help these young people turn their lives around. But it, it'd be true to say that actually your success rate is extraordinarily yeah. high, isn't it? Yeah, we're, we're currently operating at 79%. So 79% of all the young kids that go through our programme mm. end up in what's called uh, full-time sustained employment or education. Mm. So, you know, that is a phenomenal success rate. And that shows that the values of rugby, the sport of rugby, and it could be boxing, it could be, um, it could be any sport, to be honest with you. But the the ability to use sports, and in this case rugby, to help young people uh, onto a different pathway, onto a different set of behaviours, uh, and give them a different future, is obviously uh, working very, very well indeed. As I said last time, everybody, uh, just just look up uh, Rugby Works Lawrence's Rugby Works on the um, on the internet and. Um, and uh, have a look at it and read it. It is some great heartwarming stories on there, some difficult ones as well. Uh, one more thing, Lawrence, before you go. I think we're going to have to say who we think might win on Saturday. We've got the, probably an unbelievably difficult one to, uh, to, to, um, in Newcastle to, to work out. 
But well, it, I mean, I'll, I'll start. Uh, well, I'd, I'd, I'll start. Um, I say take the pressure off you, but you don't need that. But I mean, I I think Leinster. Uh, I think um, Saracens just about good enough to win in yeah. a tough game. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, Len- Leinster are the champions, so you never discount the champions. And with the quality that they have in their team, um, certainly led and spearheaded by Johnny Sexton, um, I just feel the forces with Saracens at the moment. Um, I think if you look at the way that they qualified. They have all their best players fit, the Vunapola brothers. Um, so uh, the fact that it's in England, the fact that it's at Newcastle, the fact that they're playing against the team that knocked them out of the competition in the quarterfinal stage, um, the hurt, the pain of, of last year's defeat will just be the, the tiny bit of extra that they need. I think it'll be close, um, mm. but I do believe that um, Saracens have their destiny in their own hands. and. Uh, it will take an almighty performance from Leinster. Not that they're not capable of that, but if they were to beat Saracens in England, then, wow, they truly would deserve to to be crowned uh, an, an unprecedented uh, five Euro- fifth European title. But I just think Saracens are edgy. And uh, I just, if you look at the contest at the Aviva Stadium in, in Dublin earlier on in the year, and you look at the significant players that played significantly well in that game, hmm. they all came from Saracens. OK. Um, the Ruck's back next week, but uh, before that, uh, Lawrence, thanks a million for coming in. I know from first hand how, how busy you are, but also how, how brilliantly you speak and how messianic you still are. So it was great to talk to you. And I think we ranged through quite a few points there. And um, thank God we didn't have to drink any Jaeger bombs. <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you. Lawrence Tadalio, thank you. And we'll be back next week. Owen Slot, back to the normal day on Monday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.